Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Scott Harvath Podcast. What's new this week, Mike? Hey, I am riding high, not just because of this book being absolutely bomb, but we also posted our interview with Ryan Steck, the real book spy, over on the Mitch Rapp podcast. Wasn't that fun? Yes, it was. It, 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 it kind of came between, the interview came between us recording part one and part two, but in the meantime, I'd already finished, the, we both had finished this book and we just wanted to, to talk about it, but we had to take a break for that awesome interview. Got a lot of buzz on the socials. People are digging that interview. Finally, we got everyone can stop asking the question: Why haven't we had Ryan Steck on the pod? <laughs> uh, or you, or you should get Ryan Steck on the pod. We, we had know, him. We he know. was he was a great guest. And yeah, can't wait to have him back on to talk. We we have so much more to talk about. Yeah, we do. But I mean, let's not get caught up in it because I am ready for takedown part two. After being a little underwhelmed a couple of weeks ago, covering part one, it was good. It was me. good. It was good. It was good. It was good. But you you had told me you remember this being one of your favorite in the series, and I just I couldn't see why just yet. And then it's like a switch flips, chapter fifty, which is almost the exact midpoint of this book. This thing heats up and it gets rolling, and you're gonna hear on the scorecard at the end of this episode. We've got some big, big, big scores, quite possibly historic on Mitrap Pod or on No Limits Pod. Uh, this is a good one, dude. This is a great one. Big scores. You're going to love it. You know what goes with those scores and something we forgot to do on part one. That was me sharing my thoughts on this book in the form. Guess what? In the form of a limerick. Ah, there you go. Do we even get to the Amazon Goodreads part? Like, do we just we just jumped right into it, right? I think we just jumped right in. Yeah. So you got to do your numbers also. This one must have some good scores, I'd imagine. Yeah. G- give me your limerick, though. I need All to right. hear it. There once was a man named the Troll. Destruction across Manhattan did he dole, hitting bridges and tunnels. As Scott and crew struggles, takedown hits you hard in the soul. Ooh. The troll, baby. The troll. He's kind of behind all this, really. You know, he causes the mayhem. He is. And I I had remembered this, you know, obviously we had just covered Rising Tiger, where we're way far into the future. Uh, his character development, obviously, as a, a spoiler, as a um, a sidekick, uh, a compatriot with, with Scott, it almost becomes like, his little brother in a sense, right? Um, Scott eventually cares deeply about what happens to Nicholas. Uh, we don't even, do we even know his name in this book or is it always just the troll? That's a good point. I don't think we do. He's just the Georgian dwarf. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and I had remembered that his, you know, his story started out as, as a villain. Couldn't, I couldn't remember exactly what book, obviously now, now we know. Yeah, and like you said, Mike, I remember this one being one of my favorites in my first read through the series. And as we were reading the first half, I was like, you know, this is good, but why? Why did I like this book so much? Like, you know, it, it was it was solid. You know, a solid story. De- definitely wasn't losing me like, you know, path or like like blowback kind of were. But it was keeping me engaged. But it just was like something was. 
I was I felt like I was missing something. Yeah. And then literally right after our cutoff, you know, you you plow through the next ten chapters, and it's like, all right, we we are we're let's fucking go. We're <laughs> we we are there. Yeah, yeah. No, this one has really good really good reviews on uh on Amazon four point seven and and a four point two eight on on Goodreads. So a highly touted book in, in the series. And dude, this is. Would you say is this our first time getting a, a cliffhanger in the series? Yeah, I mean, that final scene you mentioned the troll. We get hints of Scott and the troll building a personal relationship or understanding, even though we still think of him as the bad guy. There, there's some relationship building there, and then there's this drastic turn. It's almost like an epilogue. I yeah. It wasn't an epilogue. It was chapter 106 or something like that. Right. But it definitely right. felt like an epilogue and both a prologue to the next book. The next book has to pick up with Tracy Hastings getting shot, holding that dog. Spoiler. Oh, yeah. No, I, I I remember it, it does. You know, It has to. Yeah. It. I feel like this is a calling card or a, a, a trope or I don't want to say trope, but a, a writing style that Brad is going to use not all the time, but from here on out. It's almost going to be his signature, right? You know, Mitch didn't, or Mitch, um, Vince didn't do that this often. And and Kyle's probably only done it once with, you know, uh, at the end of Enemy of the Gates, right? You know, in, in a sense, that wasn't really a real cliffhanger. It was just like this crazy moment that, that happened and then, then we're left to sort of think about it over the year. But this is a true cliffhanger. You know, this is... I don't know. I, I was vibing. I, you know, it, it definitely makes you want to, wow, I can't wait. I can't wait till next summer. You know, oh, absolutely. Like, I, I, I need this book now. Oh, absolutely. And in a sense, to be honest with you, I almost felt like the last 10-ish chapters were part of that next story or part of that cliffhanger. I mean, come on. The New York attacks pretty much end chapter 90-something or late 80s. And this book has 106 chapters. You know, we're going to Gibraltar. We right. opened up with the traveling heavy with Scott world bouncing. We got to end with him somewhere else. You know, Scott, I bet Brad almost felt like he spent too much time in New York City. He just he's got to go somewhere location. Yeah. And then finding uh, Muhammad bin Muhammad, who arguably could be considered one of the big bads and taking care of him and tying up loose ends. It was kind of like, don't you think those sequences leading up to the final action, couldn't that have been the start of another book? Would you have been satisfied if this book ended with the New York stuff, the funeral for Bullet Bob, and them left wondering where the bad guys are? Ali or whoever this terrorist is who saved uh, Muhammad bin Muhammad and got him out of there. And knowing that the good guys are going to track him through this, how would you describe it scientifically, this injection that they can use to satellite track him? It, doesn't that seem like it's building a whole nother book and instead it's kind of tacked on at the end? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I feel like we've read stories that have done that, right? Thinking off the top of my head, I, I feel like uh, what's the what's the book where Stu – we just talked about it with Ryan where, where Mitch has to then go kill Stu Garrett at the oh, very yeah. beginning of the next book. Separation of power, executive power. Yeah, and then almost like uh, what's what's the one act of treason? No. Is that the one where where the JCTC blows up? Extreme measures. 
Extreme measures. Yeah, yeah. You know that we the the villains get away, and then they're the, on the, the run. entire ne- the entire next book is the villains being on the run. Right. You could almost see that. Brad could have could have went that way, but I actually kind of appreciate this and what he did, giving us giving us this a full wrap up, but then giving us a little bit more. Yeah. You know, boom, we're, we're we're done with these characters. We're on to some other person in Scott's path, Scott's past who has come into his life, come back into his life, and dude, and, that line. You know, also at the same time, Scott probably thinks that it has something to do with the troll. You know, yes, the, the troll the gave him this, gave him this package, wanted to get him outside, draw him outside, and then boom, maybe that shot was intended for him. But was it though? Because that seems so authentic. The fact that he was thanking him for saving the dog, I, I mean, no, I it's don't definitely, all, but I don't. It's, it's definitely not. Else. It's someone else. It's someone but else. Scott but could I think, think it's like, him just playing a trick. Exactly. So it's like, you know, we as a reader have a cliffhanger ourselves. We know something a little bit more than what uh, Scott knows. Yeah. But then Scott also has a cliffhanger because he's not gonna. He's one not gonna know who did this, and he's immediately probably going to think that the troll is the one behind it. Yeah. Yo, because we're on it, let me just give you the absolute last paragraph of the book. And I think this is a lesson in how to end a book, to be honest with you. this paragraph Very good right writing here, in this novel. Very good yeah. writing. I feel like you could put a clinic on teaching people how to end books because we've been skeptical of some endings. We've always said Vince, he had this rising action. And so the action as a whole at the ending, he would nail. But sometimes tying up loose ends maybe could leave you something wanting. Scott, uh, excuse I did that twice. Brad as I well. Do that, I do it a lot. <laughs> Brad as well, we've had the same issue, but not here. So re- listen to this. Nuzzling the puppy under her chin, Tracy Hastings turned to go back inside. But before she could cross the threshold, a bullet with her name on it came ripping through the trees. As the weapon was disassembled, the assassin from Scott's past took a perverse pride in knowing that this was only the beginning of the pain and retribution that was coming Harvath's way. Harvath was about to learn that you never buried anyone unless you were absolutely certain they were dead. Zing. Mm. That that might be the fav- my favorite ending in a book we've read in a, a long while. Yeah, no, it's 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 pretty intense and I I feel like I like how, you know, we've got in some other Brad books the the recap at the end almost regurgitating the story yes. and th- that was like one of our big um probably our only real negative in lions right that, yes. that we got we got that at the end and we got it again in path and i think like we're seeing brad's progression as a writer to see like all right well i didn't like that or, or maybe that doesn't work yeah. uh, my readers are smart enough that they don't really need to have that and instead we're going to give you we're going to tease you for the next book. And I, I really enjoy it. Like we are seeing his progression as a writer. Yeah. And I, I think we're, we're in store for the next couple of books to be very, very pleased. A hundred percent. I was almost nervous. Brad was going to do that again, especially when the limousine pulled up with secretary Hillerman. Oh, right. Day. Yeah. It's that in, in the past, like his first or second book, yep. that, that, that whole scene in the limo would have been um, a recap. It would have been like eight pages recapping the story and telling us where we're at. And I just wouldn't have needed it. But instead, that conversation here fills in the gaps for Scott because we know Scott doesn't have the whole picture. And so that conversation is quick. It's snappy. And it moves Scott onto the next mission. I think just the line after he's in Gibraltar on the ground or waking up with Tracy. So 
it's like that conversation. I think Brad learned, keep it quick, keep it snappy, move us on to the next thing and connect the dots in a really economical way. And, uh, it landed. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been looking ahead. Can we look back for a minute? Because I know, I know <laughs> we, we missed a few things. I think we, we went so long on part one and we weren't sure exactly where we were going to transition that a few of these scenes in the very middle, early middle part of the book got lost. But man, we missed some bangers of a scene in the first half, especially that one in the Lincoln Tunnel. What did they call it? Like the safe box or something? That safe room? Yeah, it's like this like specialty room that's off to the side. You go down this one hallway and I'm trying to like, you know, this is where you really start to feel the, you know, that these places exist, can only exist in, in, a, in a city like Manhattan, or, you know, or or you know, or like an LA type place. And that's where like the, the whole feeling immersed in New York city started to come out. I still feel like we didn't fully get it, you know, later on, it sort of transitioned to mainly focusing on action and, and sort of plotting us along. Yeah. Um, but man, that scene with the dog and like the dog's like not, not even mentioned ever again, but it was just crazy that they, they trained this dog to literally go in with an explosive vest, rip it off, and know to, like, bolt out of it. Like, fucking insane. And the whole idea was to lure the Marines out of this hiding spot where it turns out we're going to learn very quickly about the Athena Project to gather data and intel, have these information processing centers that the NSA is using to spy. But, like, so, yeah, under the Lincoln Tunnel and... There's there's a nugget later about history I know to be true, and I'm really wondering if this one is, because Brad writes that this room was designed as an evacuation center in the case of nuclear attack for the mm. top brass at the UN to evacuate by submarine. So down in the tunnel, oh, yeah, they can like get on these escape thing. submarines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, can you imagine if that room is down there, seriously built into the Lincoln Tunnel? That's baller. Oh, it's no... Knowing Brad, it, it probably is a real place, you know? Well, the other one is the secret elevator garage down to the the tracks off of Grand Central Terminal. So the next, you know, data processing info center, the terrorist hit. FDR, that was how he came into the hotel when he visited New York City. So no one would see him in his wheelchair up and down the uh, elevator and going into the okay. lobby. Yeah. And actually his whole entire limo could come off the train go up a secret elevator directly into the hotel garage. And that garage had a secret passage also up into the hotel with so you could bypass the lobby. And it all is built on these abandoned tracks just off of Grand Central Terminal. So Brad, man, he's doing what Brad does best. That kind of stuff is super cool. You know, harkens back to like the, uh, what was in, in interlocking, like describing that, you know, the, the mountain, the the mountain gondolas that go up and in the train stations like that like it's that's where he shines you know obviously his background as as a travel writer travel enthusiast and knowing to pick out little little tidbits like that little bits of history sprinkle it into we work it into the plot you know that's where you gotta you gotta love Brad you know it's a Thorism yeah yeah Thor definitely. Thorisms are alive and well here the cliffhangers the traveling he does it early he does it at the end the women. You know, we're next one up, we're just rotating, cycling through Scott and the ladies. You know, I'm I'm not sure I like that too much, but it is a hallmark of early Thor. 
And I think you can use that then later on when Scott feels age and time creeping up on him to want to be a little bit more serious down the road. But yeah, right now, we know it's early Thor where Scott is not even thinking about settling down. He has some he has some thoughts in the back of his mind here about another job and is thinking about possibly moving on. I thought it was cool he was considering Valhalla going to work out west yeah. in like a training center and, and basically train the next generation. That would have been pretty cool. But the events of this book and the ending of it, there's no way he's retiring to that life yet. Yeah, it definitely like causes him to think about it and almost re-up on his commitment and realize that his work is nowhere near done yet and yep. he can't he can't think about that kind of stuff. Nope. Um so one other thing we missed from last week, we we touched on like the ballerness of the president. We missed the scene with Driehaus's resignation yeah. and how like the back and forth between the two of them I don't know, that that scene was fucking awesome. Almost I, I just loved Yes, very, very much so. We we pointed that out a couple times, and de- definitely when you're listening to the audiobook and you hear George read it, yeah, you know, I felt like I'm with President um, Stevens or, or Alexander or Alexander. Yeah, I felt like I'm with with an Alexander or Stevens. Yeah, yeah, you definitely feel like this could be an Alexander White House. And, and here's what's really cool is it's not just here's my resignation letter. It's like oh, put that away. You know, let's wait till the crisis passes. He oh, no, give me that. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like, I'll take that. Bye. See see out the door. And Driehaus thought he would play hardball, and he thought he'd have a little negotiating power there. And Rutledge just says, "No, now's not the time. If you're not gonna, if you're not all in, you're not all in. Bye." And what what I love is the depth, though, because you could just leave it there. Do you have the quota where he's like, "But you can have it," and but I'll I'll, I'll stay, you know, through this crisis. And he, what I think he says, like, "No need." I'll sign it right now. (laughs) Yep. Yep. He just takes out the pen. Exactly. But the depth is there because chief of staff Chuck Anderson is there in his ear and he kind of berates the president over this. He's like, in a time of crisis, we need unity and trust in your government. And so you're always going to need that voice talking to you about the optics, about the press, questioning your decisions, not questioning your loyalty, but questioning your decision making just so you can make sure you're confident with what you're doing. And so I really like Chuck Anderson. I think he's written very delicately where you could see him as a pest or a thorn to Rutledge. But I think we as the audience could pick up on these small clues that Rutledge needs that. You know, he's so gung-ho in the mission. He needs that voice. He needs somebody just putting things in place and putting in things in perspective. And one other time I love where Chuck Anderson does that is when he's arguing about going to New York. Because I do want to ask you about Bookbag and Amanda. Is that her name? No. Oh, no, she's Goldilocks. You know who Goldilocks. You know what Bookbag is? That's the president's daughter's secret service code name in the West Wing. <laughs> ah, Bookbag. That's funny. Oops. Yeah, this is Goldilocks. Well, I wonder if we needed her whole story, but I'll save that. Remember when Chuck tells the president you can't go to New York and he's like like hell I'm going my 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 daughter's in a coma and Chuck brings in the secret service lady outside the door and has her explain to the president why he can't go and she just makes a really good argument like you'll be seen as using your resources for personal gain and that will right. make people think you're we'll not serious about responding to this attack and helping the victims and so like Chuck knows how to pull the strings the right way to get the president to do what he wants 
but not in a Stu Garrett kind of way, in a true like check your leadership in this moment of crisis, be the voice of reason you might need. Yeah. And the, you mentioned Goldilocks. We don't ever actually get any conclusion with that at the end. That yeah. was definitely a, uh, was that really needed? I guess it adds a little bit of suspense early on with the attacks, you know, we're sort of to cut away from, from Scott and his action to actually see something happening. You know, it's almost like a very, very coincidental placing the president's daughter in right. in the location type thing. But I'm glad that it didn't, it almost like, it was there, but then it didn't end up being like a trope at the end where, where Scott had to save her life, you know? Yeah. It I just, wouldn't have wanted It just that. sort of, it just existed. You know, she yeah. was there, she happened to be hurt, you know, sort of just add some context to heighten up the attack. So the personal. in the end, yeah, even though while it it was kind of a loose end, I I didn't mind it as much. You know, I didn't really, yeah. it didn't like stick out to me as much as if, if it had come to be like a major thing where now all of a sudden the assassin like kidnaps her in the hospital to try to get, you know, draw Scott out. Like that would have just been, you know, freaking crazy. Yeah. I was, so I was waiting for that though. And I would have been disappointed. I was waiting for Scott to just randomly go off the terrorist chase because he felt so compelled to go help Amanda in the hospital or whatever. If he heard of an attack there and then he's torn between which way he had to go, it would have been cheap. It wouldn't have added to the story. It would have detracted if anything. So I think you're right. You leave it there to bring a little bit of the personal. It added probably the best action sequence as the bridge was kind of collapsing in part one with the Secret Service. So it added good action to the beginning. And then again, it didn't distract from the story. So yeah, as a coincidence, just to say, look, real people were hurt here. There were human consequences to the attacks. Sure, I'm I'm not going to ding it, but I don't know if it was entirely necessary. Yeah. So there's some other really good scenes in the second half. Obviously, I want to get into the whole attack uh, at the Grand Central Station and and that aspect of it. The the Waldorf Astoria. It, it's part of the Waldorf Astoria too, right? That's what the building yep. they're in. Yep. And and the, and the church scene. But there's also this other story that again was a little bit of I guess I guess we got a little bit of a clarification at the end but the the lawler like trying to discover uh like what's going on trying to help Scott out in New York City but that scene between him and mm-hmm. this guy at the NSA who you, you we've cut to him a couple times and you know didn't didn't strike me that this guy was going to be in any way fucking psychotic you know potentially the he may be the mole who was leaking stuff to right. um, to uh, Nicholas, to, to the troll. And, you know, Gary's able to coerce his, his military uh, Marine buddy or use his connections to this, this guy who's in the Marines, get him to talk, tries to bring in the NSA guy, immediately starts, you know, he's just like, well, if you're not going to say it, I'm going to say it. And then the dude gets fucking got. I'm Dude. cursing a lot on this pod. I'm sorry. He gets got. That oh scene was God. crazy. The scene was intense. For all the really cool New York stuff that's happening and about to happen in the last third of this book, I stand by that the Gary Lawler, Bill Forrester, and the guy from the NSA, Stanton, their scene, it, whether they're in an office or whatever, or I feel like they're on a rooftop at one point. Yeah, they're that, in like some like special building out in like Virginia. Yeah, that that scene, to me, unlocks the whole book. It's unreal. 
we get to see Gary Lawler being Gary Lawler, making phone calls, pulling strings and and drawing connections. Mm-hmm. You know, this book doesn't have much of a Marcus Dumond analysis guy. It has what's his name? McAuliffe that we call every once in a while. But we need somebody to be that Irene Kennedy and Marcus who can pull pieces together and see the bigger picture and spot the patterns. And Gary Lawler does that when he realizes the Marines getting hit at all of these stations, the Diamond Store, the Transcon Enterprise Office, and now the Lincoln Tunnel. Gary's like, Marines are dying here. Why are Marines guarding this thing? Looks into their files and actually sees that they all requested high, highly targeted embassies, so really risky postings around the world. So they were the best of the best. Their applications were all written by this one guy, you know, giving them recommendations for these postings, Bill Forrester. And, And Gary goes to see Bill. Bill's like losing these Marines. He finally decides to talk because the Marines are getting lost. And Gary tells him, you know, we could save more of your guys that you recruited. So he pulls in his boss uh, or his confidant at the NSA, Stanton, who's behind this whole plan. And when Forrester starts running his mouth and spilling the beans to Gary Lawler, Stanton can't have it. Stanton doesn't want anybody else read in because he's secretly behind this whole project. And dude, so Stanton shoots Forrester. Lawler pulls a gun on Stanton. They have a shootout. Gary pulls out that pepper spray grenade. He tosses it into the room. He's telling Stanton to come on out. He ultimately has to shoot him. It's just that scene unlocks the book for me and like so many parts of the plot. Because now I'm thinking, was this whole thing really about Mohammed bin Mohammed? Is it really about housing a terrorist in New York? Who is Stanton working with? Why does he want this project kept so tightly under wraps? Does it have to do with Operation Driftwood, which we heard about that the president signed off on? And I'm just like, it's almost adding to the mystery box, which should confuse you even more. But it's also advancing things where you know there's going to be a massive blow up and these mystery boxes are all going to be revealed. And the Stanton guy seems to be the link. And I feel like we've read novels where there's been a lot of you know, cut scenes away from our main character, away from the action. And I felt like it's detracted from the book. But in this case, pulls you it in. enhanced it. It, it pulls, pulls you, you in. in. Like, I, I didn't mind, like, leaving leaving Scott for a little bit, you know, and, and going to this. Going to, the like, the, the Jaffe and, and the the Marine, what is his name's Harper, right? Yeah. Um, like, those interrogation scenes. Cutting to the terrorists. Like... I, I, and cutting to the president, his reaction, like all of it is just adding to the suspense, adding yeah. to the momentum. Really, really enjoyed those things. And right when it teetered on being too much and you're like, how the heck does all this connect? Right when you're like on that precipice. Yeah. Ali Sayed realizes he goes, wait a minute, I'm being used. The Chechens right. are secretly collecting data at all these information sites. We're not finding the terrorist. We're not finding Muhammad bin Muhammad, who he's trying to release. He goes, damn it. The troll was using me to collect all this intel that the U.S. government is secretly collecting this research thing, underground research facilities. He's like, I was used, and the Chechens are probably going to kill me in the end. I'm the expendable one, and I don't even know if we're going to get to the last target where where Muhammad bin Muhammad actually is. He's like, fuck, I got to change the game. And as soon as he puts it all together, we put it all together, and then he shoots the Chechen, and we're like, oh, man, now he's on his own. 
he's uh, what's he going to do next? And that's when we eventually get to Libya House. But man, there's a lot before we even get there. But it, it just shows right when you're about to say this is too much. I don't know what's going on. I'm lost. Boom. The Stanton reveal happens. And then that changes the gears in your mind. And you're like, I still don't get what's going on. Boom. Ali Syed realizes what's going on. So it's not you being told what's happening and you're not being told what to believe. We're being surprised as the characters themselves are being surprised. Right. It's like in in movies, you you want to you want to show it instead of saying it. But exactly I mean, here you have to say it. But it's like, you know, don't don't tell me what it is like. Give me some nuance to it and, and, yes. and weave it into the story like like Brad does it perfectly here. Yeah. So while this is happening. Right. We we mentioned the scene that we missed last time with the dog in this tunnel. So the information that Lawler has, he, he is able to convey to Scott, all right, well, this is a third location that you need to go check out. Obviously, Scott and team, they went to the other two locations. They go to this third one. And it's here where they meet up with two other Marines who just happened to they almost get in a little bit of a firefight who we're supposed to do on shift duty. And this whatever this secret mission is right uh driftwood uh you know project driftwood right with that's going on it's so intense that even the marines won't give up the fourth location like where where the, potentially these terrorists are going going to be hit next and it's only out of sheer you know the fact that what the one guy has his brother is at the fourth location and you know he has pity for it and obviously there's a little bit of marine connection between him and one of the other members of Scott's crew that they're able to find it. But yeah, the one guy is so pot committed to his mission, to, to his orders right. that he will not give uh, Scott the information. There's a lot of commentary on the Marine Brotherhood and ethos. It's both on Scott's people. It's these Marine guards who were essentially duped and, you know, didn't know what they were doing or protecting I think one of the Marines is also the assistant to Mike Jaffe, who works for the DIA yep. and is torturing Mohammed bin Mohammed. And he, there's just a lot of commentary on what it means to be a Marine here. And you know what brings that home? Did you read the acknowledgments at the end? Brad's, yeah. you know, thank yous. Really meaningful that they were at a fundraiser charity event and the biggest donor on the night got to be named after a character in, in one of the books. Mm -hmm. And when the person who won as the biggest donor at the charity event got on the mic, Brad explains they instead didn't want it to be their name. They wanted the character to be the name of one of the Marines, the fallen Marines that they were there honoring as part of this event. And it's just so meaningful that that character is written into a book that's very heavy on commentary about Marine loyalty and brotherhood. And he's also the character who questions the guy on whether or not it's right to just accept orders and torture, you know, and to go down the rabbit hole of I was just accepting orders. So evil is permitted then. But no, this Marine stands up and says to be a Marine is not just to accept orders blindly and commit acts of evil. It's to do what's right and to use your judgment. And I, I think that was Harper, you know, in the end, who is one of the heroes at the Libby house. So all that just. Brad's doing something special in this book that just transcends an action story. He's really, really doing something different that we haven't seen out of him so far. Maybe we saw it with the Secret Service, his reverence for the Secret Service in right Lions. in the first book. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like we haven't seen a, a deep level of 
reverence for our our operators and also with Tracy Hastings as the EOD person the sacrifices she's made losing half her face to a bomb she didn't know how to defuse and having to deal with what could I have done differently or what what was I lacking that let the terrorists win and then this whole team after all Scott's whole team I know I'm rambling here but it's basically a psychology group it's you know it's a it's a group that needs to lean on one another for support and and transitioning out and all those lines about how the doctor told Scott, hey, can I trust this team? And the doctor says, yeah, nine out of 10 times, you put these people who have all these problems on the home front, you put them back in action, you can trust them. There's always that one tenth, though, if you don't know in the moment how these psychological factors will weigh on them. And Scott asked the doctor, well, what do I do in those moments? He goes, there's nothing you can do. They just are going to be who they are, and that's going to come through. And in the moment, he thinks Tracy abandoned him, you know, when he's standing on this bomb and she has to defuse it. But no, she's really thinking outside the box to save him and make up for the mistakes she made on the first bomb, which caused her to lose half her face. So there's just a lot of this deep appreciation and reverence for all these different people, whether it's an EOD specialist, whether it's these Marines, whether it's intelligence gathering. It's, this is a special book. Yeah, and I think it's important that that Brad placed, you know, this group of PTSD survivors. You know, every all of them have scars, both physically and mentally, as the ragtag team of heroes. And you know, even even Bullet Bob, who he had to be discharged because what was his shoulder or something like that, mm-hmm. and to give him that send off. And yeah. to have him be the one, you you kind of you kind of could see it going. I I texted you a little bit early because I had read the chapter and I was like, oh shit! I thought you had finished the book already. And then you had texted me back. I hadn't got there yet. Uh, and then when you got there, like I kind of could see you had even text like wrote down that Bullet Bob's probably gonna die. You um, saw that in my notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's you know I think it's important that these characters be who they were, and that. You know this team, like th- that. Oh, that's that scene in Grand Central Station with the the pressure plate and the bomb. It, it, like this thing, this this book has a scene where Scott steps on a bomb and it has to be defused. Like on top of every other thing that goes on, yeah. that's crazy. And it wasn't out of place. It was obviously, you know, these these two people were bomb makers, so they're they're gonna have something like that, you know, potentially up their sleeve and. I don't know, like just the, the tension that that chapter like like gave, and then obviously it gave some clarity between who Tracy is and you know the budding sort of budding relationship that short lived, unfortunately, between her and, and and Scott. I don't know. It it says something to to have the main characters and and Scott's team be who Scarred. they were. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that scene also brings some levity because. There's so much pressure. There's there's the pressure of the bomb actually going off if Scott shifts his weight. It's a pressure bomb. There's the pressure of him knowing Tracy cracked last time and she let the bomb go off and she paid the price for it for the rest of her life. He's got to walk her through that. He's got to calm her down. And then there's the pressure of their relationship. And it's really delicate because in that moment, you don't want to crack too many jokes. You don't want it to be like a Marvel movie where it's like, you're going to say something dumb and funny and have slapstick right in the heaviest moments. You don't want to cheapen it, but you also know she needs that levity to operate and get over her demons. And so Scott says something, you know, like, 
hey, this bomb can't go off because then we wouldn't have our night of dancing and good conversation. And she's like, well, I don't know about the good conversation, but <laughs> definitely dancing. And it's just very playful while they're doing that, which is so human. As much as I love this team, and you're right, just the, to mention how I knew somebody was going to die. and Yeah, you knew it. You knew it. I sensed it was going to be Bullet Bob. You know, you saw it coming. I, I, I was guessing either it was going to be him. I, I Obviously, I couldn't remember. It was going to be him or one of the other male figures. Because I, I had remember that Tracy, you know, her and Scott had, had you know, a quick thing at the end of the book. Thing, yeah. So, Well, I knew it was going to be somebody. And then when I think it was Morgan, one of the, the random guys on the team, goes down in the church, I'm like, okay, well, there it is. We got we got it out of the way. But no, he survived. They bandaged, bandaged him up and he kept moving. So as soon as they got him out of that church and he kept operating, I was like, somebody else going to have to die. I was like, somebody's yeah. going to have to die. And yeah, it was it was Bullet Bob. So what do you think about – so they get out of the the bomb situation in the hotel, you know, the terminal, the Waldorf Astoria. There's a massive explosion out front, which one of the terrorists causes by shooting up the gas tank of a truck as a diversion to escape. And then – the terrorists think they'll be safe in this church. And I don't know this one specifically, even though I'm from New York, St. Bartholomew's. I really got the sense that the setting and the description we were waiting for and looking for came through here. It came through with the under the Lincoln Tunnel, came through in Grand Central Station and the Underground Terminal, comes through in the hotel, very New York style feel yes, of the hotel. Yes. And then it really came through in this church, like a I think it was like a Romanesque style church, so you're feeling right. the heavy walls and stone. And where else would you get a church that has this secret, you know, underground passageway that then connects to the dry cleaners next door? You know, like <laughs> yeah. that's just a very like you know. I, I just imagine I, I, I've spent a little bit of time in New York City, but I, you know, I see movies and a lot of times, you know, New, the way New York City is depicted, like someone walks out of a restaurant or out of their out of their apartment complex, and boom, you know, there's like people, you know doing you know a vendors or whatever and it's just a very obviously very busy congested and everything's sort of interconnected and stuff like that um yeah no i totally agree with you that sort of as we get past the you know the central parkness central park scene we begin to see more and more of of brad layering in you know the the nuance that is new york city yeah there was there was enough of it i would say it's not perfect it's not exactly the feel I would have wanted in a New York City centric novel, but it it's comes not as a much as more. like of Switzerland or right. Um, I felt like I was on the even, meadows, of even in exactly or, or 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 the descriptions in Salt Lake City, right? That we got, yeah. You know, and maybe it's just the the amount of time that that Brad has spent in in those places he's more familiar um, with, in you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, so I guess we, while this is going on, right, you know, Jaffe, Harper doing the interrogations, eventually Ali figures out there's a fifth, fifth location, you know, he's got to go to this place and we can finally figure out how and why they bring Muhammad bin Muhammad to New York City. And yes. the whole time I'm racking my brain, like, all right, so they they didn't want it. They couldn't send him to a black site in another country. But then, as soon as they bring him in, in into U.S. soil, they're gonna. How are they getting around this? And then, and boom, it clicks. You know, like like you said, 
all these mystery block boxes that are slowly being opened up. And so they secretly brought him in on a plane, international airspace, and literally like what helicoptered him like through the air and then just dropped him on the roof of what would be, you know, technically Lib- Libyan soil, right? So technically it's not the US. And so this is this is the Libya house, which is where they're doing all of this um all the stuff. And I like the little intricacies, like how they figured out like where to yes. go, like because it's dialysis machine. And like, because right. that's like a real intelligence gathering that people yes. would do. It's not like yes. this fake bullshit um, yes. intelligence gathering. Like y- you could see, you know, in a movie, like describing how they figured out where um, they even mentioned, like that's how they figured out where um, Osama bin, bin Laden was. Right. Yep. So, and, and here, or I guess they, they don't even, mention it here, but I, I remember like no, reading about do. that. No, they reference it. They say they were surprised because they were tracking this company who makes the dialysis machine and they ordered two and everyone thought it was one for Osama in two different locations. But no, it was one for Osama and one for his master bomb maker, Mohammed bin Mohammed. So they even referenced the dialysis machine was right. tied to Osama as well. Right. So those nuggets of truth come through. And and here, Gary and team is able to trace the other machine to the Libby house because it was shipped to the Libya delegation to the UN. And that's when he's able to tell Scott, I know your fifth location you got to get to, which is right when Ali is headed to the fifth location because that was on the trolls list. And the troll, who knows, was the troll going to give Ali a chance? Like, why did the troll give the fifth location to Ali if it was the true location, if he really was just going to have the Chechen off him, you know? I think he was wanted he dangle to him. I think he was going to dangle it to him and then have the Chechen sort of turn there, like have have, have them kill everybody and then oh, wow, you know turn them over to to whoever. Um, so yeah, I think that that was because he mentions at the end that that he sort of went along with this because he saw that Muhammad right he has like this special connection with Muhammad bin Muhammad right yeah he was abused when they visited that that brothel right so he wanted to, had a personal connection to take him out. Yep, exactly. And the Livia house, just so much happens. But to sum it up, Jaffe and Bill Harper are going to work on Muhammad. They pull out. Dude, this scene, this scene is fucking crazy. Crazy. This might be the worst interrogation method I've ever read. I I think this tops Jack Carr using those like all those different pepper mixtures and the capsaicin that he puts into the guy's veins. Because this time it's going up the wee wee. That, that is insane pepper spray injected in the urethra. Like, who comes up with this stuff? Brad, you are a twisted, twisted man. Very twisted. And as I'm reading it, it immediately clicked. Like, this is, is a, a charism. Have, have we come up with that term yet? Um, but it's <laughs> it is. It's it's definitely something that Jack has intertwined, finding new and inventive ways to kill people or, or torture people in, in books. Man, yeah, I was reading. It. I was just, I was like, I was kind of hurting. I was like, ooh, like that, that does not, that would not feel good at all. No, oh god, he survives it though. And uh, uh, okay, there's a couple of tricks in this action scene that are out of control. It's, it gets plan. very chaotic. Not like chaotic, where like at the end of Order to Kill, I was like kind of confused, but just like Brad's able to like bring me back in and 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 really explain it well while yeah. you know the action sort of being all over the place i mean he takes the ambassador puts him on the elevator 
with an IED underneath him while he's bleeding out and he's dying, sends the elevator down to where he knows the other guys are, the guards. And as they come over to see the body, he's still breathing, but he's actually trying to tell them, go away, go away. And they flip him over. Boom. The elevator drops. The shaft just drops out. The IED goes off, kills these guys. I mean, it's just pure chaos. It's up there. Would you say possibly the best action scene? I don't know how I would say the best action scene of this book. There's just one after another, and they're all really well-crafted. It's really hard to pick. I'd probably have to pick the whole Grand Central thing, like starting with the entrance in the, you know, the the cool underground train station and then ending with, you know, Scott having to defuse the bomb. Like all that is, is pretty sick. That was Um, a good sequence. But yeah, it's, it's tough. It's it's a tough call, which is, you know, a good thing to have like a multitude of action scenes to sort of argue over what, what, what could be the best. Yeah. This was a good one too, because you got bullet Bob dying in the garage. You've got them going up and down the stairwell You've got Scott rolling underneath, like, the closing garage door to shoot at this Mini Cooper as it's turning around the corner. Yeah, dude. I'm Action is getting a good score from me. Unfortunately, the first half action was a little slower to develop, but I, I can't ding it that much because of how good this last, like, two-thirds is. Yeah, and if you think about, like, the attacks that happened as like the action of the first half, like those were pretty well descriptive and, and engaging and interesting. So, yeah. As I'm reading this, I thought like, wow, like Scott loses. Like, yeah, they get right. away. They get away. Yeah. You know, we, we've kind of already talked about the ending and in, 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 well, I guess we, we talked about the very ending. We haven't talked about him. His Gibraltar. Trip Gibraltar yet, but I was like, oh wow. Like they're just going to end it like this, but no, we, we don't get that. We get, we get a, a Pretty awesome. I, I get chills when I read things like like the send off, you know, the, the the funeral for Bullet Bob, and you know, we got a similar description in of like the Navy SEAL tradition in multiple uh, Jack Carr books. Like, I just think back to that scene of like American Sniper, right, where the, the, they're hammering the the trident into the casket, you know, yeah. and the fact that in this one we get. The lone um, Blackhawk that comes in, drops the, um, you know, the fast rope cord, and then does a quick, quick tail out so so fast that you, and you the coffin's by the gone. time, yeah, that everyone's focused on that, and then the coffins leave as like a final exfil. That that was pretty cool, pretty like chilling, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I felt with watching that scene the way I did in the Terminalist when the Marines are coming, when the SEALs are coming home. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you get some good language here. I love the quote from one of Bullet Bob's, I guess he was one of his teammates, really close friends, who gives the eulogy. And part of what he says is this message when he was having to bury his own guys and he'd go to the locker room and have to be the one to pack up their stuff and package it and take it to the families. And he's sitting there and... He remembers how Bullet Bob was the one who came up, sat next to him, put his arm around him and just listened and sat with him, you know, because, man, that imagine having to pack up your best friends, your teammates gear and know it's your job to kind of deliver that to the family. And Bullet Bob was there and, and Bullet Bob was giving him some words of comfort and said, life isn't fair. Keep doing what you're doing and make sure you're doing the very best you can. 
And man, just what a scene. And earlier, actually, Scott even draws strength from Bullet Bob uh, getting hit and going down. Right after Bob uh, bleeds out and dies in the garage, it, it just motivates Scott to the next level. Like he's not going to let this mission fail anymore. There's a bigger reason to operate. And Brad writes, quote, he felt guilty beyond words. And while part of him wanted to bend over, puke his guts out and mourn the loss of his friend, who had been like an older brother to him, another part wanted to bathe in the blood of the people who had just killed Bob Harrington. It was from that part of himself that he summoned the strength to keep moving. And then even earlier, there's one other story. I think it's when we first meet Bullet Bob in this book. And there's the story of like, he had to move his whole regiment or they, they were traveling somewhere and he noticed some guys couldn't keep up and they couldn't carry their rucksack and they were like dying and he carried it for them. They were going to make it there for like the rifle salute. It was like yes. a training exercise and then some high brass were there. And so he saw it. And even though like it was part of the thing where they were supposed to grab their rifles and carry, and carry the rucksack all the way there and then, you know, do a salute. He said, screw that. It's all about the team. And he grabbed the rifles and then sort of ran ahead of them and then yep. handed them the rifles as they went. Uh, and no one, no one was the wiser, dude. And the lesson was: it doesn't matter how you got there; it matters that you all got there together. Yes. And Bullet Bob would never brag about it. I have to say, Bullet Bob is probably my favorite character, like besides Scott, that we've gotten so far. I think so. I think the troll is eventually going to like overtake, like probably one of my favorite characters in, in the entire you know series. Gary Lawler. Um, yeah, and, and Gary, but you know. This, we've seen a lot of these characters that are like one one offs that you yeah. know come in for a book and either you know pass away, die, or we are just never heard of again. And I feel like you can connect to them, but sometimes we don't get enough character development to like yeah. really connect with them, appreciate them. But the little time that we spend with 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 Bob here, that Brad does an awesome job like laying out his backstory, giving the character nuance, really developing this character well to make, to make that death at the end, like you, you're upset as a reader and, and to make that the funeral, like that emotional as a reader, you know, yeah. I, I, again, this writing in, in this book was just really top notch. Yeah. And to think the whole team that saves the day, the whole team operating is part of Bullet Bob's friends at the VFW. That adds another dimension of how important he was. And the fact that they were all PTSD patients who needed each other to get through it. Man, just, again, something special is going on with Brad here. This is, I think, a turning point in him as a writer, pulling on these, you know, striking these chords. Something I don't think he's done yet in the series, and it's something that will keep up, especially when we get to the old man and the team and Lara and just, like, he can have that level of emotional depth, complexity, and nuance that we've been craving, and I don't think we've seen yet through the first five books until now. So, yeah, agreed. Damn this this book is is big for the series. Yeah. So the there's only like two other things I really want to talk about. It's like you know, the Gibraltar scene with you know Scott's there. They allow like the the nuclear exchange to happen that's how they you know sort of implicate get you know then they allow Muhammad bin Muhammad to to leave the exchange but they're able to take out and, and get the 
the the material and Scott's supposed to be the one to come in and clean it up. But before he can do this, the troll's there to the enact his revenge and the dogs. And we get the infamous, you know, sort of the beginning of what's going to be this long relationship of why the troll, you know, respects, comes to respect Scott is because he saves Argus, right? Mm-hmm. And Ali is there too. So he steps out of the shadows and thinks he has the troll cornered, shoots the dog, and I'm just on the edge of my seat like, shit, Scott already lost in New York. These guys already got away. They're now they now got the troll in their sights. I was like, damn, we just can't get a win today. And then Scott gets that win. He shoots the place up. I think he shoots Ali in the head. He turns, uh, hits Muhammad in the legs, twice in the legs. Then, oh my God. Oh, talk about another scenes. another torture scene. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a little unnecessary, if you will, because after the pepper spray in the urethra, I didn't need any more torture, but I wanted Muhammad he, to suffer. It was for Bob. It was for Bob. He did it for Bob, know. yeah. These beetles, he put the vial with the beetle in it up to his ear. Some sort of beetle that's known to like eat brains and make you go crazy. And so he holds a lighter or a match up to the vial. So the beetle scurries out of it, goes into the ear canal. This beetle is eating Muhammad's brains. And then just to finish him off, he shoots him in the stomach, which apparently is a really painful way to die. So slow, painful. Yeah. Ugh. I just kept thinking of that, that one scene from the mummy with like all the scarabs coming out, you know? Yes, 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 like, yes. I, I, <laughs> yes. I, I thought of like a little scarab, like, you know, or a big scarab, like just crawling into my ear and, you know, eating my brains. Oh, that scene. I don't like bugs that much. So like oh, that scene was just, oh. And I, I do not want Brendan Fraser, a young one, to play Scott Harvath. And I don't want him as the old one to play Gary Lawler. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's funny. Oh, really other cool scene is... Scott picks up the dog, administers first aid, bandages him up, and walks away with the dog over his shoulders, and he has this eerie feeling that the troll could have shot him, and the only reason he got away was because he realized he was caring for the dog and going to save right. him. Right. And yeah, that, that just hints at the relationship to come. I don't remember the turn or the meet between the two and how it all goes down, because when they meet up, it must be explosive at first, but... There are seeds planted that these two are going to respect each other as operators. And I feel like we get one more little, like, Thorism treat at the very end with this uh, Bishop's Gates house, which which yes, will eventually yes. be, you know, now Scott's, you know, home base and his, his house for the future. That's That uh, that house is so cool. Like, the yeah. fact that, one, the president gives him this house for what a dollar a year in, in yeah. perpetuity. It's this, this house right on the water, old Navy, uh, you know, South of Mount Vernon, South of Mount Vernon. It, it just held was, you know, a, a it was like classified naval, document. Yeah. Naval um, intelligence yeah, archives. Yeah. Really, really cool. Like just a little tidbit thrown in at the very end. Yep. Yep. And another tidbit, you know, who shows up to help him mow and clean up the house. We Gordo. see Gordo. Gordo. Gordo did you want more of him? I, I know he's going to be around a little bit, but when he was just a side note at the end, I'm like, why didn't we call him in? <laughs> well, I think it's it It was nice that, like, you kind of saw, all right, the attacks really did happen, and no one can yeah. get on this island. And so right. Brad, uh, Scott has really left with whoever he's got, himself and whoever he's got. So, you know, I felt like if you could 
if you tried somehow to sneak in the regular players, yeah, it would have been almost like unbelievable, you know, this idea. Um, so I kind of like that we sort of, you know, he uh, Scott was out of his out out of his element. So yeah, it's true. Well, before we really wrap up with the scorecard, and we have to judge a cover by the book. A few questions for you, and I don't want to ask this one because it's exactly what we're saying. We love the team up, but do you wish there's a little more consistency to the characters? Like, by this time in Mitrap, I feel like he's got his boys. He's got Hackett and Strobel mm. and eventually Joe Maz. And I'm just wondering, do you want to see more consistency between the people around Scott, who he's, one, operating with, and two, the ladies in his life? Or do you like this kind of turnover Every book's kind of fresh. It stands alone, kind of feel. Yeah, I think that you could you could probably say that that is a Thorism. Although it's gonna, I think it's gonna settle out soon. Once you know the troll becomes a main player, as a helper, and then definitely once he, you know, joins the Carlton group and has all of them in in, in its behemoth of of resources at his command. I don't mind it as much. I, I guess I, I enjoyed this one here because we, the characters are actually fleshed out. I felt like some of, some of the other books, you know, the characters are sort of take them or leave them. Um, but I think it also shows, right, we're seeing Scott's progression from different jobs, which we never really saw Mitch do, right? Mitch joined the CIA and has, until last book. And I guess one other time where he had a, pretend like he left the CIA has been a part of the CIA. So it would make sense that he has this like cast of people. And then every now and then we, we get a one-off character, but here, like it starts out, he's in the secret service and then he moves into this OIIA um, position. And then he's going to leave that and go into the private sector. So it kind of makes sense that not all the same players would be around and he would have access to them. So, yeah, but I like how, you know, they, like at the very end, he brought in a Vigliano to show that like there is some there is some continuity to this this universe and, sure. and that th- these characters still exist. They're there. They may pop up time and time again. So yeah, all right, good point. A uh, last question before we get into the scorecard: Who was the big bad here? Is it the troll? Is it one of the terrorists? And ultimately, is it whoever the leak was, the traitor who gave the troll the information? Was Stanton the traitor in this case? Who sold the secrets from the secret plan because the troll was e- was either paying him or maybe going to do some power sharing with him over this information. Who's the real big bad here? Yeah, so what, the information, right, was all, like, phone records and, and interactions between, like, Al-Qaeda and stuff like that? Well, the data Operation Driftwood was processing at these centers were, like, secret spy things that we had on other world leaders. Remember these, these world leaders. It was world yeah. leaders, right? The right, whole right. purpose was to get dirt on other governments and their world leaders. So not just general surveillance for terrorism purposes, but almost blackmail that we could use against other governments down the road. Right. And so it's never is it ever does um the one guy, the defense secretary ever say that Stanton was the leak? Or do we not know yet? I don't know. I mean That was the one like thing I was a little I was a little confused on at the end. But I assume that one, why else would he fucking kill his compatriot? You know, his compatriot is is yeah. you know right hand man essentially yeah. in this in this plot, and then shoot out with Gary. Other than the fact that 
I mean, if this information goes out, gets out, and he's at the head of it, he's definitely going to jail. But I felt like there's something else. This idea that he is a traitor and he's not only doing this, but also giving up information to other people. Either that, or the troll is just so good that he has the ability to hack in and you know figured out this plot um, on his own. You know, it as thinking about like who is the big bad per se i don't know i guess i guess ali and muhammad bin, bin muhammad bin muhammad are the big bad but i think what brad really wants to do is set up the troll as this enigma right is he a bad guy is he not a bad guy is he the one that that shot tracy or is it someone else obviously I guess we know as a reader that the one who shot is someone who was in Brad's past or Scott's past. Sorry, we keep doing that. But yeah, I don't know. I think you could go with either Ali, the Ali, you know, Muhammad bin Muhammad as the big bad or the troll. Yeah. The troll's almost like an anti-hero, you know, he's, yeah. he's self-serving. Definitely. It's kind of a cliffhanger, but I really, really want to know more about the Trolls' information-dealing empire. Like, that was set up yes. so well, and all these secrets yes. he now has. I, I just, like we said last time, Brad created a character in the Troll that you just want so much more of, and we're going to get it. I feel like you hit gold, writers hit gold like that very very few, you know, not, not often, sorry. Yeah. Um, and Brad saw what he had and rolled with it, and I'm very glad he did. Yep. You know where else we hit gold? In these covers, man. Dude, I am all about the cover game here for Takedown. Yes, yes. And it's funny, We, we in pre-pro, we were talking, we sort of like, sometimes we do the scorecard on the fly, but sometimes we, we like to, you know, get a little read beforehand. And so we were talking about the covers, and we're like, eh, they're cool. Well, two of them are, are, I think B is really cool with the Statue of Liberty Yep. Um, I love that that whole line of paperbacks. I have those. I, I'm very sentimental to, to them. I, I don't really like that they've gone to these new updated ones in cover yeah. C. However, the cover C on this one, at first, I was like, "What the hell is this cover?" You see this like shape that kind of looks like a ship. I'm like, "There's no yeah. ships." But then, but then, I zoom in on it. Yep. To get a better look. Oh yeah. And I realize. That it's it's like a what one of those like almost like a street map hazy street map of Manhattan, oh. and you can see the the points at to where the attack like the bridges and the tunnels right. Yep. And I was like, wow, th- this cover is pretty pretty awesome. It's dope. I looked at cover C. I was like, huh, kind of strange. And this red star. It's making me think of communism. This has nothing to do with Russia. And then I saw that map of Manhattan particularly with the tunnels and bridges so clearly shown. And I was so impressed. This is one of my favorite all-time covers. Once I noticed that, it for a sequence of covers or a series of covers I haven't really liked that much, the new releases of, of the Brad Thors, this is by far the best one. And definitely, it's slamming. If, if you don't say C is the best cover here, something's wrong with you because it's unbelievable. I like B. You're right. Once you see the Statue of Liberty, the Empire State Building, and the skyline silhouetted in the in the words "takedown," yeah, I like that. It's cool. B is banger. 
A is so cool. And as an original release, I would have really liked it seeing it in a bookstore. But it's it's lacking a little something. It doesn't hint it's a, at New It's a York. generic. It's generic. It's it's a uh, you know how many st- like this style cover do we see on the original uh, Vince Flynn you know yes, runs of exactly. an American flag that's either shattered or or shot with a bullet or you know that's burning you know it's just it, it signals some sort of distress some sort of attack so yeah. very of the times right two thousand and with this come in two thousand five right so. Yeah. It doesn't speak to New York City, though, you know, and if no. we're judging a book by a cover by the book, it it doesn't tell me much about the story, although the colors are cool. Colors are really cool. Uh, D, E and F. Can we just skip? Can we just not even mention them? Uh, all I have to say is D is kind of interesting. I, we're not big fans of putting like actual dudes on on covers with faces. But Can't have the face with ba- with faces. Um, Hands are OK. Guns are OK. No faces. D's not bad. What is D? It, it's all in English. So is that like the British copy? D's pretty bad. No, you 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 really you you don't like D? E the, is pretty bad. This trench coat looking thing. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make any sense to me. All right, let's let's skip it. The A, B, and C are so good that let's it, not even it, talk about it, them. Yeah, it, they're international. It's it's okay. It's Thank okay. you. I, I I kind of applaud you for wanting to try, but it wasn't worth it. We should, yeah. There's no no need. I don't want to bring this book down. Uh, no negativity Correct. here. Correct. All right. Scorecard, action and plot, my friend. We got to think of this book as a whole because it's very clearly a tale of two books or a first third and a second two thirds. But all of that considered, how the book gripped you, the race to the finish, all the action happening. What do you give the score out of 10 on action and plot? I wanted to go 10-10. Me too, but I, I I I just couldn't. So I'm going I'm going nine on action, dinging it a point for the scarcity we got in the first third to 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 half, and I'm going ten on plot because the plot was banging in this book. It, it had me hooked from the start to finish. Um, the mystery boxes, you know, we we had very probably the only thing we were confused on and we probably just cause we missed it. Cause there was so damn much action at the end was the, who was the traitor? Yeah. Um, you know, all the mystery boxes were explained. We, we fully gripped. Yeah. No, I, nothing more I can say about it. It was awesome plot. hundred percent, hundred percent. I went 10 on plot. All the mystery boxes paid off. They came together at the right moments. The pacing on the reveal of the story was beautifully crafted and so that was a 10 action correct i wanted to ding it a little bit on the first third not really having my attention that much i only gave it half a point off 9.5 because of how good the rest of the action was libya grand central terminal lincoln tunnel waldorf waldorf astoria gibraltar over and over again so because of that my buy-in is high too 4.5. 4.5. Yeah, same. same. I, I wanted to go 5 out of 5, and then I remembered how I wasn't digging the early New York City scenes. You know, pre-Central Park scenes. That random motorcycle gang, they fought some guys outside a motorcycle shop or some yeah, weird shit. Yeah, that was... It was weird. There was a marking on one of them. I was like, it's little tiny things like that. 4.5 out of buying. That and the fact that, like... I don't know, just like this... this 
the, my ding of the why I put a 4.5 is just like a little convenient that Scott was in New York City when this attack happened. But, you know, obviously you got to have that if you want to have the story. Um, so yeah. what about the bad guys and the good guys, Mike? Again, I thought nearly perfect. I'm kind of going to nitpick, though, because to get that five out of five, it's got to be so well-rounded. Well, with the bad guys, while I really love the troll, five out of five on how he's rolled out, I had to take a little bit off on the terrorists, the terrorists and the Chechen, who's who and who's motivating who, just were not the level of, let's say, a Rafik Aziz. You know, they were not a Louis Gold. They aren't. Right. They aren't these figures you're dying to be around three, four books because they're so good. They were good for one book, but they didn't race to that next level. So four and a half on the bad guys. How about you? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. I think like we weren't fully invested in wanting to have them around as as villains for a long time, and then the one we are is um, the troll. It, but he's really not a bad guy, you know. Like exactly. we we ultimately know that he's not not going to be a bad guy in this book. He's he's a bad guy, or, or at least an out someone who's out for himself. So yeah, that's why I got to ding it. The good guys, on the other hand, I had to go five, dude. Just one. We get awesome Lawler. We get awesome uh, Rutledge. Really digging the chief of, chief of staff. But you could go five alone on just the Motley crew that Scott has, yes. you know, helping him. Tracy, Tracy Hastings, right? Um, Bullet yep, Bob. Morgan. Kate's Morgan, you know, just, and even like, you know, some of the Marines that we, we get introduced to, like you said, yes. um, just these minor characters. And even like, while you didn't play a major role, I, you know, the character, this, uh, the character of the, the, the fake DIA agent, um, Mike Jaffe, Jaffe. like he, yeah. he was an interesting character, you know? Yeah. And ultimately on, on the side of good. So, the good guys were really good. A hundred percent. I I dinged it initially because I was so caught up on this idea of I want the team. I want Gordo. I want all the other boys. Oh, well, who's the guy with the Scottish accent? Oh, uh, well, he's fake Scottish accent. Treywick. But, um, Skip Treywick. Treywick. Yeah, fake accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was kind of like being a little nostalgic for those guys. But you're right. The New York City attacks. There's no way you can rely on them. Scott's got to find new people. Bullet Bob and his PTSD group is so tight. I had to I had to bump it to that that perfect five. This is a great team up, even if it's a short while team up, not the like standard characters I'm hoping to see five books from now. But the way they gelled and came together and the team dynamics, fantastic. And each one of them was an individual. They weren't just a generic macho muscle and brawn kind of character because you need them on the you need muscle on the team, you know, you need a shooter. It it just really worked how they were all put together. So I, I did the five. I upped it. You convinced ah, me. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Setting? We were both, I think, still a little lacking on New York City, as great as it was to be there. Four out of five. Would you agree? Yeah. I think, like, what can elevate it is some of the later stuff we got. You know, the action in Grand Central, this, the church, the Lincoln Tunnel. Yeah, Even, like, the, the, we were starting to get there with the Central Park scene. You know, and then like we get we get some decent dis- descriptions of Gibraltar early on in, in Canada, so you know setting's gonna always gonna be pretty high. But here we couldn't give the five that we've been we've, we've I think we've given him fives on settings pretty much every book. Maybe not Path, but 
Couldn't do it here. Even even the last book, like Blowback, Blowback, we we were pretty much down on that entire book, except for the setting was like freaking amazing, like just yeah. the description of the Alps and stuff like that. So, yeah, he's, but he's got a good ding here. The covers we already talked about them, and I think like you know m- maybe if the internationals were better, we could go full five out of five. But um, right, exactly. A, the, a, a, B, and C alone, you're you're getting a four point five from me. Yep, yep. B and C are enough to carry it. To a four or beyond, a four and a half, because C is just so good. If that original was a little more unique, a little more tailored to this story and not a generic one, it could have could have reached. It, it's like a four point eight. If we were it allowed really to do is. that, yeah, 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 if yeah. we were, but I, we're not. You know, got to stick to the rules here. So four and a half. Yeah, free space though. What are you giving a perfect five out of five in this book? I, I get to go first this time, and I'm I'm gonna pick Bullet Bob. Oh, it's you took it from Bob. me. I know. I, I had a feeling you were gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna do him. Yeah. It's. It, I don't know. He's just probably one of the best crafted character, individual characters from an individual book that we've gotten. I would say, like, even you know, some of the individual characters we got in in like a Vince Flynn or, or Kyle book. You know, we yeah. we don't get that nuance unless you if you're really gonna put the investment into having that character development. Odds are you're gonna keep him around for a couple books, yeah. but you know, obviously you had the stakes, and um, yeah, it was a really good character. Since you took Bullet Bob, I will take the other low hanging fruit here and go with the troll. We've we've hashed it out. We talked about it. it man, the troll needs those props. So five out of five. I have a feeling this is not going to be the last time the troll is is the free space. Yeah, he's going to have a lot of winners. You could have made the argument in Rising Tiger how he goes friggin' yeah badass protecting his uh, his home front, his lady. Yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, that's some pretty high scores. A forty six and a half from you, and that's a forty seven from me. One full point of that was the setting alone, and then a couple of other halves sprinkled in there. So. This was pretty close to perfect. The last half of this book was darn close to a fifty out of fifty. Yeah, definitely. I don't know, I'm I'm glad I'm I'm glad we we got to talk this book. It's it's bringing me back into the series. Absolutely, a L- little down after the last book, but we're we're back in. This ignited the fire. This one really put the passion in me to want to keep season two going. The Scott Harvath podcast. <laughs> We're gonna get to the Don't end. Folks. We we we're gonna, we, we're, we're, we're gonna do it. We're we're completionists on this podcast, so we're gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so the next time you hear us on this feed, we will be doing the first commandment. Again, we're getting into the stretch of books where I, I don't quite remember the plot. I'm sure as soon as I start reading the first couple chapters, um, I'll remember it. But yeah, so next time on this feed, you have the first commandment, but. Until then, you can go to our other feed, No Limits, The Thriller Podcast. Check out our Ryan Steck interview while you're there. No, actually, that one's on our first feed, the Mitch Rap Pod. Mitch Rap, yeah. But on the Thriller Podcast feed, we're going to have our interview um, with Andrews and Wilson, uh, as well as potentially dig into another Jack Carr book, because I'm interested to see what happens after, because I have not read Savage Sun yet, so. Yeah, dude, the book a lot of people consider the best in the series, so I can't wait for you to get into it. All right. Again, we want to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, Mark, and Rod. 
Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us online at thrillerpod.com or on Twitter and Insta at thrillerpodcast. And in the words of Bullet Bob, keep doing what you're doing.